Jones for the first time! Line it goes, Davies on the run, got behind Yedlin, is trying to recover. Alfonso Davies, it's a tie game! Kyle Laren! Kai Havertz, who is around Aderson, and Havertz scores for Chelsea! Son from inside his own half has scored one of the best goals of his Spurs career. Hello everyone, welcome to episode four of the Terminal City FC podcast. And the Terminal City FC podcast is part of the Area 51 Sports Network. And as always, I'm Josh Ray and joined by Nathan Durek. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Doing pretty good, too. Um, lots to talk about in the football world. Whitecaps Huge. have had a busy week. Um, the 50% capacity limit has been lifted here in British Columbia, so the Whitecaps can play with a full crowd. Um, the Canucks are playing their home opener tonight with a full crowd. So, so some normalcy is coming back to sports here in BC. Yeah, it's a long time coming. And you know what? Right for the end of uh, the MLS season, uh, depending on what the way Caps can do, that bodes well. All right. So, Nathan, start us off this week with what's been going on in the Whitecaps world. All right. Well, a lot has happened. Yeah, well, we've got to go back, actually, to last Wednesday when uh, Whitecaps were in Portland. Oh, yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. And, I mean... Portland, another Cascadia rival. It's always a difficult building to go go into. We've talked about it before that, you know, despite the size of the park, it, the fans are sitting right on top of you in the stands. So it, it, it makes it feel about double the amount of people that are actually there. So it's a very harsh environment to go to. And you know what? The, the Caps are kind of showing a, a little bit of uh, their uh, tentative nature going into a building uh, that's that oppressive. They went down to nothing and uh, came back with what I got to say is probably right now our game of the season. Coming back with three goals after a pretty brilliant uh, substitution by Sartini. We ended up having goals. Uh, Caicedo, uh, man of the match with a goal and assist. We had a, a Gaspar with an absolute last ditch effort to keep the ball in play. Bring it across the, the net for uh, Whites to head it in. Uh, I don't know if you've got a chance to see this, Josh. You probably saw it live, but it was uh, one of the best goals I think I've seen out of a, a white cap shirt. Yeah. Uh, totally. And then totally. at the very, very end of the game, we had Dahomey. And Dahomey uh, was able to get a penalty in the box. I know some people say it was soft. Some people say, you know, there was contact. I mean, I think it's kind of a 50-50, but the referee was right there and he had no hesitation in calling the penalty converted it and uh, Caps come out of Portland with a 3-2 win. Huge points, especially because before that game, Portland was six points ahead of the Whitecaps in standings on the Western Conference. Put us within three. And with Portland being in that last home place advantage spot in the table, it not only gives the Caps an opportunity to get into the playoffs, gives them an opportunity to move above Portland, which could have big ramifications when it comes to playoff time. Yeah, that, that was quite the game. What a comeback by the Whitecaps. The never-say-die attitude. 
from the Caps. Um, 2-0 down at halftime. The second goal off after a pretty poor turnover. And then the Whitecaps just, um, they controlled the play with their possession. They were pressing um, goals from Caicedo, White, and Dahomey from the spot. Um, just, again, in a building like Portland against the Portland Timbers team who are pretty good, that is a massive Massive victory, and now they're only two points behind the Portland Timbers in the standings. For um, and hey, could you imagine the Whitecaps hosting a home playoff game? That's it's it's a possibility. It's a it is a possibility, and it's one of those ones where I still I don't want to say anything because I feel like I'm tempting fate. Yeah, and um, Mass just all around massive three points like the teams never say say die attitude great subs by sartini um when gall came on it just um the tide changed and um that's what subs subs gotta do in times like that they they subs gotta change the nature of the game you're right about gold but it was also white yeah exactly make that first goal by uh without ever having touched the ball yet. The cross run he did drew the defenders his way and gave Caicedo to make that run. You got to remember, he made that run from our end. Oh, yeah, that that was... Yeah, that was such a... That was a great goal. I, I could watch that all day. What a... Just what a run. That has to be uh, the Whitecats' goal of the season. You know what? I would say that one, or I'd also say that Brian White one, that one that... that uh, that Gaspar was able to head across the, the mouth of the goal to White to do it. And White heading the ball into the net as he's fading backwards. Man, they made that look easy. But I know it's got to be anything but. Uh, just, um, yeah, they, uh, just what a comeback in Portland. And then they had to go down to San Jose to play the Earthquakes. And for the most part, it was a, it, it was an, um, the Whitecaps did look a bit tired, I guess, with the three, the three games in, in seven, seven days. days. Uh, the fatigue was starting to show. Obviously, San Jose had more possession, more shots. Uh, they were even on target, but San Jose, um, dominated in terms of possession, but the Whitecaps, it's not like they were terrible in that game. There were, it was, for the most part, even. It was. It was even. You're right that uh, San Jose did have a lot of the, uh, the shared possession, but they weren't doing a lot with it. They were kept. Yeah, they just kept to passing. The outside. And Gaspar got on the board after some pretty poor marking from San Jose. They didn't even yeah. think of mark, marking Gaspar and just left him all alone. Well, you know what? The Whitecaps were able to change uh, their uh, their playing dynamic once they took Gasper and Dahomey and switched their sides. Gasper started on the right, Dahomey started on the left. But as soon as they switched their sides, it allowed for play to be more dynamic because they were, allowed, they were able to make more of those cross-pitch passes, open up a few more lanes. And I think having that switch, having Gaspar on the left, helped put him in the right spot to be there for that rebound. Yeah, totally. They and the, the defending, um, they, especially Florian Youngworth, who made his return to San Jose after being traded last summer, 
um, was really good. Um, just uh, making the blocks, getting the ball out of the box area, uh, making pretty good time tackles, and Crapo was solid as usual, especially like near the end where he made an error going off his line. But along with the help of Youngworth, he managed to get back in time before it crossed the line. You know what? I see a player like Youngworth, and you see that as soon as he came to the Whitecaps, he knew where his loyalties were. Did you see where he made the one challenge, and then he uh, gave him almost like a a challenge while the guy was still on the ground? Yeah. (laughs) He stepped back into a building that he had played in for years, and he let everyone know there he's a Whitecap now. It was pretty good to see yeah, he's a white cap now. He's part, he's Vancouver's own. Like, again, as Jose Mourinho once said, love stories are over. Yeah, pretty much, right? So yeah, love hey, stories with are over. those two games him. and everything else that we've seen, Crepo, man, man of the season? Definitely. Definitely. Wrote about it for Area 51. Yep. Um, just uh, even when, when the white caps didn't deserve to win, he was there. He is a goalie that will actually help you gain points right it's not just about scoring goals with this team you need a goalie that's going to sometimes steal a game for you a game that you might not deserve to win and he does that totally he he does that and uh he's been consistent all year like the most consistent white cap all year even when the white cats were doing poorly under mark santos he was still pretty good yeah very much so uh, the other thing is, do you think he's a goalkeeper of the year when it comes to the overall league? Should be up there. I'm not sure if he's goalkeeper of the year. I don't you know what. Be, I wouldn't be surprised. I would he's be surprised. One of the top guys for shots stopped. Yeah. Um, he, I know he's um, like in the middle when in terms of clean sheets. Yeah, uh, that's true. But I, I, he has to be up there for... But he's also facing... I hate to say it. I mean, and I think things have changed because our, our defensive line is starting to get healthy and starting to play more consistently. But he he's faced so many more shots. I mean, keeping a clean sheet when you're getting 9-10 a game, that's tough. Yeah. It's um, really, really nice to see the Whitecaps have a, have a goalkeeper who is consistent after... Match after match. So yeah. the Whitecaps are a point behind uh, Minnesota United. And guess who they're playing at BC Place tomorrow? Tomorrow. Minnesota United. I think that's going to be a pretty good barn burner. Uh, Minnesota is a team that, uh, I mean, they're still relatively new when it comes to the whole uh, MLS experience. Uh, and they haven't had that many games when it comes up to Vancouver because – well, we simply, we weren't playing our home games here. So it's going to be a very new experience for them. And I think that's something that the Whitecaps can use to their advantage. Yeah. Um, last game, they drew LAFC 1-1. And the game before that, despite being down 10 men, they beat Philadelphia Union 3-2. So um, they have a, the record is 12-9. In 10 with a goal differential of minus two. Yeah, they're, uh, I mean, it's it's really not too different when, then when you look at uh, Vancouver as well. They're only, uh, you know, uh, one win ahead of us, one one point in the table. Goal difference is all pretty much, ne- pretty much negligible between the two of us. It On paper, it looks like two very even sides. 
but it's two teams that also know what they're fighting for. You know, they're sitting on that last two spots above the playoff line. They actually have something to fight for. So I'm expecting, I'm expecting to see that fight if BC plays tomorrow. Both teams know what they're fighting for. Both teams want to make the playoffs to evenly match, match sides. And it, I expect a tight game where both teams just give it all on the pitch. And um, both teams want the three points, no, with, without a doubt. So I expect it to be a barn burner at BC Place. And if, you, and if you're going to the game, uh, make your voice heard um, down there because the Whitecaps need it. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing we uh, should talk about is with uh, those last two games that we had and the play of Bruno Gaspar, it's actually given him a spot in the MLS team of the week. Uh, the goal, the assist, uh, both in uh, each game. Uh, one thing I got to ask is he is on loan right now with Whitecaps. Has he yeah. earned a permanent spot? Um, given his play recently, I think. I think so. Um, yeah. I got to say, I was not sold on him for his initial few games when he came. Yeah, I wasn't either. He does seem to have found a place on the team, though. He 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 does. And, I mean, it took him a while for him to, like, get going. Absolutely. And now he's um, making some really good plays. He's scoring goal. He's got the goal, got the assists, like, making some pretty accurate passes. I think um, – if the white the white caps could sign him permanently on a on a deal that's not too expensive, and he's on loan from oh from Sporting. Yeah, he came from Portugal. Yep, and he's uh, one of those players. Like I know yeah. we we brought him in as uh, as a right back or as uh, more of a bit of like an attacking uh, fullback. Yeah, like uh, a wing back. Give pressure to Norwinsky and uh, on that position, but he has shown versatility versatility that he can play further up the pitch a little bit on the wing. He can play on the left. So he does give someone like Sartini a few options to play around with. I think for that point alone, and with the fact that his game becomes is becoming a bit tighter, a bit more expansive, he, he's worth a sniff. But yeah, I don't know if I would go... I wouldn't break the bank on him. You know? For a small fee. like Yeah, especially because he also takes up an international roster spot. Yeah, to, and he's not like it's not like he's gonna go for mil for millions and millions anyway. No. So I mean, yeah, that vers- versatility. He is a right back, but he can play the wing, and he's shown to adapt to the wing position. It took him a while, but he's shown to fully adapt now. I mean, I'd I'd sign him like on a cheap deal, and um, I I've I've liked him over the last last few matches. And he's been named to the MLS top side, top side of the week. And I believe that's like the Whitecaps have had a number of players named over for the team of the week for the past like month or so. Goes to Even show. Sartini has found his name up there for coach of the week. Yeah. And by the way, I don't think he just, they should remove the interim tag from his title anymore. Name him the head coach. I, you know what? I'm with you on that. He's for, now got 10 games under his belt. He's got uh, uh, a win ratio better than, I mean, our last few managers uh, that we've had in the Whitecaps. And that's going back a few years. He, the only thing I have against, and it's not anything I have against Sartini yet, 
is while he's willing to change the pieces on the pitch, he is tactically rigid. He doesn't change his tactics a whole lot. He loves this whole kind of Christmas tree formation, or sometimes he'll drop back and he'll uh, bring his, his uh, wing backs. He'll try to drop them a little bit deeper if he needs uh, more uh, defensive stability. But uh, maybe it's only 10 games. Maybe it's because we haven't seen anyone be able to carve out that tactic yet uh, too extreme, except, you know, for the one game against Seattle. But I do want to know what happens when the Whitecaps get found out. How does he adapt? And I think it's just a matter of time. He, that hasn't happened to him yet. I'm willing to let him become the, the head coach, the head manager, and uh, allow him to, to continue to surprise me. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, we haven't really seen him. Like Again, aside from the game in Seattle, he, we haven't really seen him under – under pressure yet and is he willing to change his formation and tactics after after big losses we have only the only the only thing we've seen is the game in seattle and um whether or not the white cats make the playoffs or not he like he has become this team's head coach and like he's really revitalized the squad revitalized the dressing room got the best out of many of the players and uh, he's made the Whitecaps a fun team to watch. He's made them a massively fun team to watch. And the thing is, is we have to give uh, credit where credit is due. DeSantos did have them trending in this direction. Uh, we got Ryan Gall right at uh, kind of the cusp of, uh, of the DeSantos firing. But it's Sertini that's been able to take these pieces together and actually, and actually cook with them. He's actually making something that everyone seems to be getting enjoyment out of. Uh, not just fans, but players. And, yeah, he's, uh, again, making the Whitecaps a very enjoyable team. Like, DeSantos, he had the Whitecaps trending in the right direction, but tactically, it wasn't working. It was also a little bit boring to watch. Yeah. Uh, I'll admit that. Uh, it was uh, more of a – it was less creative. And that's the one thing that I do like about Sertini is he allows individual creative players to be creative. We see players moving around on the pitch. We see tactical fluidity when it comes to the attacking half of the pitch, not necessarily the defensive half, but I'm okay with that. I want my defensive half to, you know, not make, I don't want them to make the flashy play. I want them to make the smart play. So I'm, I'm happy where Sertini, Sertini is so far with the team. Yeah, that's the thing with the Whitecaps. They, like they're doing the smart, the simple yet smart plays. Like you don't have to do a flashy world class type of pass or cross. Just make it simple and do it smart. So um, moving on from the Whitecaps, um, big game tomorrow against Minnesota. Hopefully they get the three points. The Canadian women's national team have started their. Um, I believe it was a it's a celebration tour. Yeah, they're calling it a celebration tour. Uh, basically, it's a it's a couple of home games uh, against New Zealand, who they've invited yep. to Canada to play a couple of games. They played one of the weekend, and they got another one earlier or later on this afternoon. And it's a five one, the five one win. Yeah, it was a five one win. I mean, we got goals from uh, Belan de Or uh, nominees, Christine Sinclair and uh, Jesse Fleming. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Ashley Lawrence wasn't able to make the trip from PSG. She's uh, 
fighting an injury right now. So we weren't able to see her. But other than that, I mean, this is a game that Canada absolutely dominated. And I mean, should be Canada's ranked one of the uh, top five or top six uh, countries when it comes to women's football in the world, right? New Zealand's a good side, but you're playing Canada, you're playing in their home country, you're playing right after they just won gold at the Olympics. And on top of this, it was the Canadian women's national team first game on home soil in 29 months. They wanted this win. Yeah, I'm looking here. They haven't played in front of a home crowd since May of 2019. Which is crazy. Which uh, feels like a lifetime ago. It does. And uh, what what better time for them to have a crowd? They just won gold in Tokyo. Uh, Already one of the top women's sides in the world. And didn't get to see the game, but it was... Um, for those who were there, I'm sure it was a great experience in Ottawa. The one thing I will say is that you do get a chance. Uh, Fleming's goal was off uh, a penalty kick, and it was uh, just well, easily placed, basically passing into the back of the net. But if you get a chance, check out Sinclair's goal. She has, uh, I mean, it's that uncanny ability to make the uh, very, very difficult look very, very simple. Uh, when you look at a player like uh, Christine Sinclair, I think, first of all, she is ta- – uh, you know, her intelligence on the pitch is second to none, but it's the, her ability to stay calm in such high pressure situations that I think just goes into the rest of the players. When she's calm, everyone else is calm. When she's fired up, everyone else is fired up. It does make me wonder who is Canada's next leader going to be on that pitch because Christine Sinclair, let's admit it. She doesn't have too many years left. I wish she could play for another 10, but uh, it's not going to happen. <laughs> enjoy her while we can. Absolutely, right? It's, not it's just if I can enjoy what she's able to do. Because it's uh, she, well, she is the leader of Team Canada, the face of Canada women's soccer, but time is passing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's and great. You know question. what? We have a lot of players that are ready to take up, uh, take up the torch. Uh, my, my curiosity is going to be who, who does it? That's a, that's a great question. Who does it? Fleming. Fleming. It's definitely a good that's, chance. That's, you have Jordan Huaitma, who is uh, doing phenomenal things with PSG as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think you need to go with the goal scorer. I still say Ashley, Ashley Lawrence is the best defender in the world. No arguments there. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, I think you've got many choices. Uh, you also have uh, Stephanie Labe in that. And uh, I mean, we can all think back to uh, the, uh, the match uh, in the Olympics where she's in net uh, during the, the, the PKs and she's standing there on her line smirking at the players oh, getting yeah. ready to take their shots. I mean, it just, that's, yeah, that's, it, that's it, it, it endears you to these players because of their confidence. So, yeah, I, I think we have a lot of choice. I don't think the program is going to suffer when uh, Sinclair does eventually decide to retire. And again, that's going to be her decision. No one's forcing her out, but it is still going to be a gaping hole just emotionally, I think (laughs) for me anyway, but someone will step up and her legacy will live on to the next generation. And she, who knows, she'll be involved somehow. Oh, I hope so. I don't, uh, I mean, basically just, give her some sort of position within Canadian soccer or, uh, or anywhere in, in the national team. I mean, let her d- 
decide what her job is going to be because to lose that level of knowledge would be such a disservice. Yeah, and before the game, I saw both Canada and New Zealand stood together at the center circle to show solidarity for victims of abuse in sport, um, which um, something that has happened a lot in the world of, of soccer, especially here in Canada. And, and in was, particular, unfortunately, in women's uh, soccer. It's unfortunately in women's soccer, and it's something that shouldn't happen, and it's um, good they call for change, and, and they recognize the safe need for a safe sport, and um, this is something that should be kicked out, kicked out of soccer for good. One of the things that the Canadian women's team did is they uh, sent a list of demands to the to Canada Soccer, the governing body of soccer in the country. And Canada Soccer, for their part, did come back with three pledges. Uh, one of the things is, is it's nice to see some movement. There's been a lot of discussion that this movement is very, very late. Uh, one of the reasons we talk about this in Canada still goes back, unfortunately, to a former coach of the Whitecaps, who's, uh, well, he's still on trial for nine related uh, uh, assault charges. Uh, and that has to go back to uh, our development teams, both men and women. So I'm hoping that, that seeing solidarity between teams of many different nations brings to light uh, that, well, I mean, first of all, these are not isolated incidents. And they do happen to the teams that both you and I love. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean that they don't need uh, some sunlight sh shone on them and uh, certain things exposed and uh, dealt with. Uh, hopefully, this is uh, just a beginning. Hopefully, this is just a beginning for, for, for you know, for change. Yes. In women's football and in women's sport. Um. On that note, um, we'll throw to an ad rate, then we'll talk uh, about what's going on in European football. Come All right. Next. Hey, do you want to win some cash? Do you love sports betting? Then Bet99 is the place for you. It is a Canadian online betting website and app that allows you to bet on football matches or matches of any other sport. It also has an online casino. Bet99 is the official betting sponsor for the Terminal City FC podcast and the Area 51 Sports Network. Go to the Area 51 website, click betting, and sign up for a welcome offer of a 100% match up to your initial deposit of $600, as well as boosted odds for the teams that you care about the most. Bet99.com is Canada's premier place for sports betting and online casino games. Must be 19 plus to play, and please play responsibly. Are your own podcast about football or whatever? Great. Unsure about getting started? No problem. That's what Buzzsprout is for. The Terminal City FC podcast uses Buzzsprout. It's quick and easy, and myself and thousands of podcasters around the world use Buzzsprout. You'll get an awesome-looking website, plus your show will be out on Spotify, Apple, Google, and more. You'll get ways to promote the show, analytics, stats, and more. That's not all. You'll get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And it will help support this show. Just follow the link in the show notes. Buzzsprout makes podcasting fun and easy. Start your your own podcast with Buzzsprout today. Okay, so um, big week in the Premier League. 
Chelsea, um, they they're still on top of the table and destroyed Norwich City. They just destroyed Norwich City um, with seven goals, um, seven nil, and um, really um, not much to say. Not much that I didn't like from the game because it was just total domination. Um, it, it, Chelsea were by far the better team. Like Norwich only had one shot on target, one, while. Chelsea had 13. 13, that's insane. And North City, um, they've won the championship last year. They're a team that just goes up and down from the championship to the Premier League year after year. Uh, yeah, they're a team that, I mean, they've been a yo-yo team for quite a few years. They just haven't been able to figure out that magic recipe to stay in the Premier League for anything more than a season and then get something to build off of. They need to follow the model that we see like a Leeds United, right? Or a Brighton, you know, teams that have kind of gone back and forth, but have been able to stay around here for a few years and start to build on something. Yeah. And Chelsea didn't even like, it wasn't even Chelsea's, uh, like there was no Romelu Lukaku. There was yeah. no team over. So Chelsea did not have a natural striker. So Kai Havertz was a false nine. And um, Mason Mount with the hat trick. Um, Callum Hudson Dodoy scored. Reese James scored. There's an own goal from Norwich, and Ben Chill has scored four goals in his last four games with Chelsea. First Englishman to do it since Super Frank. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know that 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 just blew my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't realize that's that's going back in history a little bit. Yeah. Uh, like and he's a defender he's a left back <laughs> and we all know um how good lampard was for chelsea and just, uh, but as a defender that's that's insane and mason mount um was someone um who was mentored by frank lampard and who's um frank lampard is his idol and people are saying oh mount is just lampard's son uh, he's he's nothing more than the next uh, like the next Jesse Lingard or whatever. He's 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 not a he's not Ballon d'Or worthy. Well, I know it's Norwich, but a hat trick's still a hat trick, and consistently he's for the most part he's had great matches. He's an incredible playmaker. He can score goals. He's um he's just the future of Chelsea, and one of the one of the many players made in Cobham. Cobham's finest. Six years old, joined Chelsea's academy. Went out on loan a few times to Vitesse and Derby. And now look at him. Like, uh, Champions League winner, Ballon d'Or, shortlisted. Chelsea's player of the year. Um, a hat-trick against Norwich. Like, um, this guy is Chelsea's future captain. Um, the future face of the club for many years. Um, already emerging as one of the brightest young talents in Europe. Um, he's um, very vital to this team. And with because without him there, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I saw it like a few weeks ago. Like Without him, Chelsea aren't really the same team uh, when it comes to the attack, especially. So... 
by far Mount, well, not by far, um, but Mount is Chelsea's best player. And um, to win like that without a natural striker, I know it's Norwich. It's, it's impressive. Uh, so Lukaku and Werner, they're out for another like week or so. Um, no timetable on their, on their return. But other things in that game against Norwich, um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek has, um, we're starting to see the Ruben Loftus-Cheek before the Achilles injury in 2019. He um, really, um, he, he's been, um, been bossing it. Like, not a lot of mistakes, making good passes. And um, it, he should have started, I think, but I think he'll get more starts from now from now on. Uh, Mateo Kovacic has, um, um, my opinion, one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. Great passer, also pretty good defensively. He just does the small things so well. And for Chelsea, they're playing Southampton in the League Cup like an hour after as I speak. And after that, they're off Newcastle. And then it's Malmo again in the Champions League. So, so far, life's pretty good for Chelsea. Still a point above Liverpool for the top of the table. Yeah, I don't think you can deny the fact that the team to beat when it comes to the Premier League is Chelsea. I mean, Liverpool is going to be up there as well, but I don't know. I think right now you're looking at a, a two-team race. Um, I agree with you on Mason Mount. I, I agree that he is the face of this club going forward. Maybe not right now, but he's no. definitely uh, he's definitely giving putting himself in the picture for that role. The thing is, is any sort of goals that you get from Mount are just added benefit because his job is is being creative on the pitch in feeding everyone else, right? Like his job, it's nice that he's going to get a goal and you hope that he gets, say, like maybe 10 a season, but that's above and beyond what his actual role on the, on the pitch is. So to see what he was able to do against Norwich and absolutely, like you said, boss – boss that team around it was uh it was uh, it was nice to see from uh, such a young man right i mean he's he's very calm on the ball he he plays with a level of maturity that uh seems to be much older than him yeah and um apparently he is chelsea's leading goal scorer under thomas tuchel's um time at chelsea really that's interesting to know as well well um, yeah that you is- know what I got to say, Josh, for, for all the good that you just talked about, Chelsea, uh, I can't say the same about the Spurs. Hmm. No. Uh, so we started off with the Spurs uh, midweek action last week with the Europa Conference League playing uh, via Tess uh, down in uh, Belgium, I believe. I think they're in the like, Netherlands. Netherlands? Netherlands? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mountain Mount was alone there for a year. Yeah. And uh, well, we had Steven Bergwin, who used to play. Uh, in uh, the league there. And uh, he, I mean, before the game, he was kind of ominous saying that this was a team that was tough to break down. And it was, uh, well, first of all, you know, you've got to wonder about the, the, the manager, 
this was a team that Spurs started that had 11 changes. We were playing with a 17-year-old striker. We were playing with uh, a defender who had never played before. Uh, Actually, it was only uh, 10 changes because we decided to keep Hugo Lloris in that. But other than that, we didn't get a spark until we started making changes on the pitch. As much as I love using these types of games to give other options a try, whether it's a a player that is only on the fringes of the first squad or a player that's in, say, the under-23 side and you're wanting to get him a few minutes, Spurs right now are not a team that's going to win the Premier League. The, this Europa Conference League is a winnable trophy, but they're treating it like a development game. And that's, that stuff, I don't know, it just it burns me to no end, especially when you have players on the first team who are struggling, who could use a game like this to get confidence back up, right? I think back to our previous, uh, uh, our previous uh, Europa League or Europa Conference game, where we were struggling to make anything. So we put on Kane. He got a hat trick in 20 minutes, right? That's the sort of stuff that can help spark uh, a first side going back into the Premier League. Unfortunately, we didn't see that. And we took that lethargic play into the weekend where we were playing uh, another London Derby against uh, West Ham. Now, West Ham is a team, uh, I mean, they have a huge rivalry. It goes back decades with Tottenham. And they're fun games to watch. This was not fun. Again, this was a, a game that was Tottenham's for the taking. And it's not that, and it's not for lack of chances. I mean, we we saw chances missed, we saw crossbars, we saw just a, a team playing frustrated and a team making mistakes. And West Ham was able to open up Tottenham in the end uh, with a, a goal by uh uh, by uh, uh, Mikel Antonio in the 72nd minute. And the funny thing is, is right now, if you look at the table, we are nine games into the table. This has West Ham in the top four. But it also has Tottenham right now, having played Crystal Palace, having played Chelsea, having played Arsenal, and now having played West Ham. Every single London team that they have played so far this year, they have lost to. This team right now, I don't know. There, there is not much to be happy about when it comes to Tottenham. Uh, you're starting to hear, uh, you know, Nuno Esperanto uh, out again, right? You're starting to see... Uh, I mean, there was actually a brawl in the stands between Spurs and West Ham players because of frustration. It's, it is, uh, I wish I could say it's dark times, but it feels like it's been dark times for ever since we lost the Champions League final to Liverpool. <laughs> I love to see it, but. Yeah, of course um, you do. Uh, it goes to show who, who, who rules London. Well, and right now it's definitely not. Uh, it's, it's definitely not, not Tottenham. Oh, no, man, I can't believe they lose to Vitesse. Yeah, uh, I mean that's that's classic Tottenham, and then they lose to West Ham, and then it's Burnley in the EFL Cup, and then lo and behold, Manchester United, two struggling yeah. teams. Hey, we started off this season absolutely brilliantly, beating Manchester City, but uh, I don't want that to be our only shining moments, right? Uh, 
yeah. Uh, I mean, there is the one thing I will say about uh, Tottenham is on the business side, there does seem to be some possible good news. Uh, ENIC, uh, the group that owns uh, Hotspurs, they are looking at buying uh, Standard Liège in Belgium right now. Uh, Liège is a team that's been struggling in Belgium. They barely stayed out of relegation last year. Uh, they're going through a bit of an ownership crisis, and their chairman is actually calling. He's publicly calling for investment, which is kind of interesting. And, and uh, I know Spurs are looking at a possible buying a stake in them, but they're not the only ones. I think you also have Arsenal, Leeds, and possibly one of the Manchester clubs looking at going in there. Uh, now, I know Man City, I believe, already has uh, ownership or at least part ownership with Anderlecht. We know that when Vincent Company went back and they got involved there. So I'm assuming this would be Man United looking to kind of match City's ambitions on uh, mainland Europe. Mm, what that does for a team that moves in there, if Tottenham is able to do it, I mean, Belgium is a great club or a, a great country to pick up young players. So I don't expect anything like this to pay off right away, but five, 10 years down the road, you know, uh, right now I'm all for it because uh, right now I'll just take any good news. Yeah. No one Kane wanted to leave in the off season. <sighs> you know what? I don't, I, right now I don't know if I'm in the majority of this, of this uh, opinion, but I think they should have let him go. Should have. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. He's going nowhere with Tottenham, wasting his he, career. He's there. going nowhere with Tottenham. He's playing frustrating. Like he, his frustration is infecting the rest of the team. He, he's playing like a guy who doesn't want to be there. Uh, and even if you look at the numbers over the past couple of years, when he is not in the side, other players play better because they actually step up and fill those holes. Maybe he's trying to lower his. His transfer value. So he could. Well, I mean, taking another year off your contract, that's going to lower it anyway. Uh, now there's talk about who knows what's going on with Newcastle. Apparently, Newcastle wants to make a bid on him. I mean, they're you know, along with everyone else in the Along home. with pretty much every major star in, in, in world football, since they have the funds now. Yeah, exactly. I um, mean, Tottenham, they like, I remember like 2017, like, they had a good team. Oh, they had a they had a beautiful team, team but they, they couldn't team win anything. Playing as a team, they just again it's taught it's the history of Tottenham not showing up in big games, and they haven't won anything in like over a decade. Well, the funny thing is, is Tottenham is considered not one of the biggest clubs. They're one of the bigger clubs uh, in England and even in Europe. I think uh, in terms of value, I think they're in the top ten in Europe, which is saying something. This is a team that hasn't won anything since 2008, and that was a League Cup. Before that, you got to go back decades. Yeah. Haven't won the league title since the 60s. Yeah. It couldn't be my club. Uh, okay, I'm done talking about Tottenham. All right. <laughs> that's just... just, uh, that's All just right, let's, uh, let's talk about hurts. another depressing side. Manchester United lost 5-0 to Liverpool at Old Trafford. Old Trafford wasn't the theater of dreams. It was a theater of nightmares. Oh my gosh! Five nothing to Liverpool. It's it's literally a Man United fan's worst nightmare. It's Sir Alex Ferguson's worst nightmare. Who was in the stands, by the way, and um, Pogba got sent off around the 60th minute. Mohamed Salah scored a hat trick. 
probably the best player in the world right now. Yeah, there's no one that's uh, touching him right now. Well, except Lewandowski. Of course, but right now. Yeah. Best in the Premier League, best, best in the world, Mohamed Salah. Uh, just all-around world-class player. And did you happen to see Ferguson's face? Yeah, when I did. Showing him on the stands, like this. This looks like a guy that's having his soul ripped out of him. I mean, he's got to be wondering what happened to the club I left. Times have changed, and um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is still the Manchester United manager, confirmed by Fabrizio Romano that uh, he will be in charge of the game against Tottenham. Sir Alex Ferguson supports him. He is. He was at training, and Antonio Conte would accept the Manchester United job, but he has no direct official contact with the club yet. No, so for now, he has been like, pretty public in saying uh, that he wants to go there. Totally, and and for now, it looks like United want to keep Solskjaer. Well, if they lose against Tottenham, first of all. Hallelujah! I would love it. We we need something to do to, to change uh, to change our uh, our time going forward. But I think you've got to look at that for United. That if you're losing against a, a struggling team, that's untenable. I don't know how you can keep your job after that. I think yeah. I think Solishar has one, maybe two games. Totally, like his days. Um, a few more losses, he's gone. Yeah, and. Um... I thought he was going to be fired after the game against Liverpool. Well, like, so did I. I mean, the thing is, you look at United and Liverpool, it's, I mean, it's called the oldest rivalry in sports for a reason, right? I mean, that is, that is one that you are, it is unacceptable if you lose. It is, it, I mean, it's, it's almost treasonous if you lose by that much in your home stadium. Yeah, it's, Total, like that is a fireable offense, in my opinion, to lose to your biggest rivals, five nothing in your home stadium. And I uh, was surprised when I heard that Solskjaer was still the Man United manager at the end of the day. Because if do if, you if think that, was, that right now all he is doing, he's riding on his past glories? Probably. They're remembering him as a player. They're not remembering him as a manager. No, they're remembering you him as the guy who scored the winning goal in the 1999 Champions League final. Exactly. You and I have talked about this before, is the idea of players becoming managers. And we need to realize at some point, these are completely different skill sets. Yeah. And uh, it's a totally different skill. And you got to separate the player from the manager. I don't say that Solishar is a bad manager. But he's, like he's, but he, he's not of this caliber. Yeah, he was able to do some good stuff at Malmo, but Malmo is also, you know, one of your top teams in Sweden. To come from there, go all the way to United. I mean, first of all, that jump is, that's not just a little jump. You're basically jumping over a chasm to make that. He's had moments of brilliance, but they've been far, few and far between. It, a lot of it has just been kind of showing up and showing up and showing up and not actually becoming the dominating force that everyone expects Manchester United to be. When people say Manchester United, that name's supposed to invoke fear, not just meh. And like Solskjaer has improved the team 
from Mourinho's last season. Got them to a, Euro- to a Europa League final. But again, it's, it's the tactic wise, tactics wise, and um, the plan to execute the no, not to get the best out of his player. That's it's not working. No, and if, I mean, and if you were at Chelsea, he would have been totally been fired after a, that five nothing loss. I mean, Chelsea had the balls to sack Frank Lampard. Well, you also have Roman Abramovich. That guy fires anyone. You know, anyone you know, breathes in the wrong direction. Yeah, any like any minor blip in the season, you're fired as a manager. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the Glazers got a like. No wonder Man United fans are all Glazers out because they don't really have a clue. Um, well, they also don't believe that the Glazers have the best interests of the club at heart, exactly. right? And they're I mean, American. I think I think that's been proven time and time again. Yeah, I like get that. it. I, I I go I waffle back and forth when it comes to the ownership of Tottenham as well. I mean, I sometimes wonder if they have the best interests of Tottenham at heart. And I mean, I guess you could say that about almost any owner, but there are some owners out there that truly bleed the colors of the teams they own. And right now, yeah, United, definitely not one of them. Uh, Tottenham, not one of not them. One of them. Arsenal, definitely not one. Yeah. Again, foreign. Like American owners, the Glazers, the Glazers, the Glazers also own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are the reigning Super Bowl champions. Yeah, and I believe they have more interest in them than Man United, which is their little side project overseas. But- well, it's so funny when you say it's a little side project. You look at how the value of of sports clubs in different sports and also in different geographical areas of the world, and it almost doesn't make sense. You take exactly. a look at. Uh, Newcastle just sold for 305 million pounds. Let's say 400, 450 million dollars, right? The numbers for the NHL just came out. Toronto is valued at just over 2 billion. Like it, it something doesn't compute there. <laughs> yeah, and I know it's funny when I say it's a little side project, but it is American owners, like they it kind of kind of is like it, yeah, like it's they're a little overseas like side project to make a little more money. Same with Stan Kroenke with Arsenal, who owns yep. um, the Avalanche, the, the Rams, and a bunch of other American sports teams. He doesn't really like his interests with Arsenal aren't really big. Like he's nope. got his son, and... uh, Josh Kroenke, whatever his name is, uh, handling most of the the duties there. It's just a little um, offshore project where he can gain a little bit more more money. Yeah, it's where you can gain a little bit of experience in the family business, right? Right. And f- with United, I mean, this, this is Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs, one of the most historic clubs in the world. And like, it's not right seeing them like this for many people. Oh, For many people, many people are used to them being that dominating force yeah. in the world. We think of Man United in the same realm as, say, uh, Real Madrid, right? Right. Um. Like this is a this is a twenty time league champion, three time Champions League winner, um, and again, like uh, the Glazers have kind of like disregarded that that history, that um that the badge is a symbol of of honor, uh, in Manchester, like it's a symbol of greatness. They've disregarded that and just use are using it as a way to make some extra cash 
well, they're going to be remembered for being the reigning owners when Manchester turned blue. Exactly. Uh, And unfortunately, that's a a pretty damning legacy. Speaking of uh, changing in managers, it looks like we actually have a front runner in the uh, the Newcastle job with uh, Paulo Francesca. Uh, Paulo yep. Francesca, if you guys remember, uh, he was one of the front runners for the job with uh, Tottenham. Actually believed he had the job, was starting to make plans, and then found out through media that uh, Tottenham was actually looking in a different direction. Uh, before that, he had been the manager of AS Roma. So this guy does come with uh, a pretty decent CV, especially out of Italy. I think he's also managed a couple of other teams there. Um yeah, he's managed. Good choice, um, do you think? He's managed a bunch of teams in Portugal, like throughout the, including Porto. Uh, he's managed Shakhtar Donetsk as well. Yes, you're right. He did. So he has the experience of at small clubs, and he's ready to take it to the next level. And why not a better place than than Newcastle, a place that a club that now has a ton of cash on them. And um, uh, it's his time to show off that experience and show that he can handle a big team. So when you and I were talking last week, Josh, about right now, Newcastle should not go for like one of the top, top, top tier managers. They need a manager to manage this team while it's in transition. Francesca is definitely, he fits that bill. Totally. Um, and it looks like it's... Um, I'm um, just reading it here that it could, it could happen. Like, there's a lot of rumors that um, they're close. Right now he's the front yet. runner. I know they've interviewed him. They haven't made a decision yet. I, I think they still want to kick the tires on a few managers within the Premier League. Um, but Or at least managers that might be uh, managing in Europe but have Premier League experience. Yep. But yeah, I mean... I don't think this can go on too much longer for Newcastle. I think they got to make a decision within the next week, regardless of what that decision is. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a let's smart hire. Like they're in transition, and um, he's a guy who's looking to take the next step in management. So, so I think it's perfect. I do too. Uh, before we close out, uh, we have a question from Adam. Curzon Black, who writes about the Giants, Vancouver Giants for the Dub Network, and the Canucks and Seattle Kraken for the Hockey Writers, and co-hosts the Third Line podcast. Uh, with Brian White in the squad, should the Whitecaps consider selling Lucas Cavallini this offseason? That's a tough question. Um, Brian White has been a revelation. He has yeah. been really good. It's not even been a full season. Yeah, it's not even been a full season. I don't know what this is yet because I don't have the information to make that qualified of a decision. That being said, Cavallini costs a lot of money per goal scored. He is one of our top two most expensive players. He takes up a designated player spot. So you you have expectations of a return on that investment. And I don't know if Cavallini has met that. I, I, I would almost say I would consider selling Cavallini regardless of Brian White. 
I think you still need to bring in a, another striker because I'm not sold on Theo Bear either. Uh, Theo Bear right now we have on loan to uh, Hamcam uh, in Sweden. But uh, I mean, right now with, with his team in Sweden, he's averaging, I think, a goal every almost three, almost every three games. Like it's his return isn't the greatest either. So I think regardless of what you do, you keep Brian White and you hope that this, that what he is doing this year, he does next year and the year after that and the year after that. But you need to bring in another striker, another out and out striker to take the pressure off Brian White when, you know, he has moments where it's just not clicking. Yeah, I think Cavallini, he was signed for quite the fee, like one of the most white caps, like their most expensive, one of their most expensive players, like signed, but he hasn't really lived up to that expectation. I guess injuries play a part. They do. But he, but when he's, even when he's healthy, like sure, he has scored goals, nine in 36 appearances, but it could be more. He hasn't really been that clinical in front of goal. Whereas Brian White, only like half a season. But he's really, really clicked. But I would consider selling Cavallini since um, he's got like a year left on his contract. It was a three-year deal that he signed. But yeah. he hasn't really been clicking. Maybe a fresh yeah. start somewhere else could get him going. And they need a backup striker to in case White doesn't um, – lo- like he loses his form or gets injured. Like Theo Bear might not be the best choice, but they need someone – who um, was a reliable backup striker. So, yeah, I would consider yeah. selling Cavallini because of the play of Ryan White. I don't want to just put in a player there that's just a warm body that takes up space. I want a player that actually can finish. Can, can, yeah, that can produce something, right? Now, Cavallini, I think you're right. I think he cost almost about $5 million in transfer fees when we got him, which I think at the time was the Whitecaps' most expensive fee ever paid. On top of that, I know him and Ryan Gall, they're both around, I think, the $2 million mark in terms of salary. That's a lot of money for a team like the Whitecaps uh, that could be better utilized. I, I don't have a problem using a DP spot for a striker. I think it's actually a good position to use for a striker. But if you're going to do it, you need better production. Simple as that. Yeah, I mean, and I was... think I think you have a good point, Josh. I think you made sense in saying that this is this would actually be a good thing for both parties. I think Cavallini needs the new environment, right? He needs to go somewhere where he can thrive, and part of his uh, part of his inability to finish could also be service, right? You got to remember that a lot of his time with the Whitecaps was without Ryan Gall, was before that whole area. So he spent a lot of time being the sole striker up top and not getting the ball. It's kind of yeah. tough to, it's, it's tough to score goals if you don't have the ball, right? But right. you need other people to get it to you. We have those pieces now. Maybe, maybe Cavalini just needs a good, a good run, like a good solid four or five games to get his, get that rust shaken off. I don't know, but I don't know. I think a new environment might be it might, best for both sides. But for both sides, yeah. Um, again, the, um, it hasn't really worked out the way we've wanted it to. But maybe somewhere else would benefit him and the club. So 
uh, probably won't, wouldn't go for much anyway, but I would consider selling Lucas Cavallini thanks to the play of Brian White. But again, they need a backup striker who can actually finish, not just take up a spot on the on the squad. Especially since we seem to be playing with two up front right now because Caicedo seems to move up there. We have other players that move up there when we need to. That fluidity, fluidity that we do play, we talked about earlier in this episode. Um, yeah, you, you need someone to play with White, but you need someone also sitting on the bench for when they need to be relieved. So, yeah, you need to have those options. If Cavallini is not going to be it, we need to find something else. And with that, that concludes this week's episode of Terminal City FC. Um, hope you enjoyed the episode. Follow me on Twitter at JoshRay91. Follow Nathan Durek at NDurek. And um, there is a Facebook page. There's an Instagram page where you can follow. Check out the rest of the Area 51 network. Check out our articles there too, which are about the white caps, of course. And uh, tell us well what you want to see, what you're doing right. Well, we could start having guests. Yeah. In the next few weeks. Like, is there anyone you want to see? Do you want to come on the show? Let us uh, know. Like, just let us know. Like, we're happy to accommodate. We'll we'll find a time to record. And I uh, hope you're enjoying Terminal City FC so far. Um, and um, share it with your, if you like it, share it with your soccer loving family, with your friends, like spread the word because uh, soccer podcasts in this market, um, there needs to be, be more of them. Um, it's um, something that's growing in this market and Overall, it's fun to share the passion of soccer with everyone. So that concludes this week's episode. For Nathan Durick, I'm Josh Ray. Peace out. Take care. Let me ask you something. Would you like to listen to a sports podcast and learn how to turn $1 into a five-figure sum? Ever heard of the word parlay before? Then join me, Malcolm Ert, the host of Point Shot every week. We talk about the news and notes from around the NHL, focusing on the only team we really care about, though, our Vancouver Canucks as well as my favorite new topic, sports betting. Catch us wherever you find your podcasts.